from Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Peter Kelly. I'm your host, uh, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Hayley. Hi, Pete. Yeah, I am good. Thank you. It's been a rough start to the week. I just feel like I cannot get into it yet. <laughs> I blame it on having a really late night on Sunday. So that's probably, you know, back to basics. Get your sleep in. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> well, I, I, had a, I had a late night on Saturday and Sunday. But, right. Uh, yeah, so I'm fine. Oh, I'm off to Spain. Did I tell you I'm off to Spain tomorrow to Malaga? You did. Can I come in your suitcase? <laughs> I tell you, I am so, I am so speedo ready. You know what I mean? I'm going to be there on the beach. Um, you know, because I, Hayley knows that I've been doing exercise over the last few weeks to get myself ready for the, for, for this beach body. Um, <laughs> which, and it's 20 degrees. It's virtually a, it's summer, a, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be out there and enjoying it. So yeah, it should be nice. And Malaga, it's got loads of forts and lots of really, you know, sort of oldie th- things to do for people like my age of 55 who like to go and explore. So I'm looking forward to all of that. And uh, yeah, it should be, should be, should be great. Oh, you, know, nothing, you deserve nothing, it. Nothing me talking about my holiday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you introduce our, our, our guest. <laughs> Fantastic, Pete. Thank you. We are delighted that Catherine Delapore has joined us today to discuss all things psychological health and safety. Um, Catherine, welcome. I'm going to hand over to you to, to really introduce yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Hayley and Pete. So lovely to be here with you. Yeah, so I'm a coach. Um, I'm a professional listener. That's how I typically introduce myself these days. Um, and I'm, I've been coaching for seven years, but I have sat in the hot seat of, um, senior leadership roles in mostly scale up businesses. That's my background, 20 years in scaling businesses globally, um, and leading, um, business development, sales and marketing functions. Uh, I lived and worked in San Francisco for a few years. It's my spiritual second home um, and no, just uh, coaching, coaching now um, and really working with leaders and organizations to build high performance cultures. That's that's what I that's what I do for a living these days. OK, so our first question for you, Catherine, do you see psychological health and safety management playing a role within coaching and development of emerging leaders? Absolutely. It's front and center for me because. If we think about the human operating system, so how does how does the brain work? Um, and if, if I put the lens of cognitive behavioral therapy on this, which is the way I think, informs the way I feel, informs the way I show up, then absolutely uh, the quality of thinking and feeling will impact quality actions, which will then impact quality outputs, aka performance. And that's the work that I do with leaders. If you want people, if you want humans to perform at their very, very best, then the way they think and feel will have a huge impact on um, how they how they show up in a business. 
mm. um, and those actions, those behaviours then impact um, everything else in terms of performance. Um, so, and that creates an experience, that creates an experience for humans. And it can be a negative experience or it can be a positive experience. Mm -hmm. but we are all emotional sentient beings. Mm -hmm. And I think the big difference, the big shift that has happened between the 20th century and the 21st century is finally there is a realization that humans have emotions um, and emotions are, um, I mean, actually, the, it's really interesting. The root of the word emotion is moter, sorry, mover, mover, the French word mover, which means to move. So I can either move towards something, love, trust, um, safe, I feel safe, mm -hmm. uh, or I can run away from things through fear, um, which is the fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And that's all about the experience that I have within a given environment. Um, there's all, also obviously the narratives that exist inside our heads, um, which is based on, you know, often the, the past. Um, and the, prob the problem is that a number of a number of us hold on to the past and we project our past into our future. And that is that can unfortunately uh, mean that our performance isn't going to be as good as uh, we had hoped. But absolutely, psychological health and safety is is the key to unlocking performance. And But of course, you need to balance that with the physical aspect as well. The physical, mm -hmm. I need to be in physically good shape. There's all sorts of physical aspects that organisations need to think about. Obviously, we have an aging population, people mm -hmm. are eating properly, they drinking enough water. There are all of these factors as well. But on the, the psychological health and safety side, I mean, it is the difference between high performance or average and low performance. Fascinating. I think that feeling piece for me is how do we make the leaders feel again so that they can feel firstly themselves and then the impact within their team and bringing that feeling into the workplace on the background of normally we never do we don't speak about you know we don't mix the two it's oil and water it's work and home um and and that that's a narrative in itself that's mm. been created so fascinated fascinating explanation i think of how we need to go back to basics, even with some of our leaders, in terms of this narrative, this conversation, this psychological health and safety management is important and why. Yeah, and I think I think ultimately, certainly when I entered the workforce 40 years ago, um, there was a clear directive that, you know, you left your emotions at the door. Emotions have no place in the workforce, mm. workplace, mm. but actually that's... The, the complete opposite is true. If you want enhanced engagement, if you want people, uh, you know, if you want to optimize performance, you need to harness positive emotion. And then linking that back to the hazards in the workplace, mm -hmm. it's about being able to talk about the impact of those hazards on your emotion. So I find that that fascinating because it's taking the 
the emotion one step further, I think, firstly, let's feel, but then let's also recognize how things in the workplace will make us feel yeah. so that we can have that conversation. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, because, of course, there are systems at play here. There are systems, the systems of work, the systems of school, the systems of home. So all of these systems interplay and, 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 and very and sadly, emotional self-awareness is the place to start because I am a system. You are a system. Peter's a system, the system of self, mind, body, spirit. And if I am not self-aware, in other words, if I haven't learned how to make sense of my emotion, unfortunately, I am going to be entering leadership, management and leadership role with one hand tied behind my back. Competency, technical versus the word, I don't know, people call it soft skill. It's not my favorite word, but to your point, yeah. Thank you. Catherine, I'm just about to elicit some, some emotions from you as I ask this question. Thought we'd start with an easy one and then gently get harder. Mm -hmm. um, in your work that you do, how do you see the two concepts of psychological safety and psychological health and safety playing out in the UK? Hmm. Well, I think, um, and this is my understanding, Pete, you have got so much knowledge and experience here. You may, you may tell me I'm wrong, but my understanding of those two, two concepts, they're definitely related, but they are different. So psychological safety is something that Professor Amy Edmondson really has kind of brought to the fore with her book, The Fearless Organization. And my understanding of that concept is that it is about enabling people to feel safe so that they can speak up so they are they're feeling safe to challenge at work they feel safe to as i said speak up they're feeling mm -hmm. safe to learn um and critically really importantly that they feel able to speak up um when they've made a mistake mm -hmm. in other words that then they're not um holding back information because they are afraid that other people may make fun of them they may be sacked um all all of those kind of risk factors that we as humans assess on a daily basis is it safe is it safe to be myself at work actually i think that's kind of what it what it's about um is it is it safe to be me to be authentically me at work um so that that's my understanding of the psychological safety concept, uh, whereas actually psychological health and safety is much more about, as I've mentioned before, the human operating system, just how we think, feel and then do stuff. Um, so it, it, the psychological health and health and safety really kind of cuts to the core of um, you know, my ability to, frankly, to think well at work. And if we think, and if we think about how, you know, the context for how organizations compete in the modern sort of 21st century global marketplace, um, we're competing on ideas now. Um, so we're not competing often to make widgets anymore. Obviously there are companies out there manufacturing widgets and all those kind of, you know, products. <laughs> But so much of what we do now, these are service, 
service. Uh, we have, we're now operating in a service economy in the UK, certainly. And it's actually about ideas. Um, mm. what, um, what's been called the innovation premium. And so no one is going to be able to innovate. No one is going to be able to, uh, to create if, firstly, they don't feel safe. So that, so that bottom line, I'm feeling safe to speak up and to learn and to, to tell, to own up to making mistakes. Um, but also I just, my, my thinking, my whole process, my ability to think well will be utterly um, compromised. That's a huge problem for businesses when they when it comes to competing in a global economy. Mm. Yeah. Well, Catherine, you you passed your examination. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, increasingly, psychological health and safety as a concept um, is going to be coming into the psyche of business. Um, we will see this through the European Union's directive work on uh, psychological health and safety, which is um, is uh, is also coming. So I think, um, yeah, I think it's very. I think we do need to be clear that the difference between psychological safety and psychological health and safety, uh, and the interesting take is actually, you know, people being their own mental capital to work and their ability to look at um, how they do the work. And one thing as an inspector, I would always look at was well, performance influencing factors such as psychological health and, and safety. How are they influencing the outcome of an accident uh, as well as ill health? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I just want to draw on one point about how work is designed, you know, which is one of the categories of psychological health and safety, you know, work design, job demand, control, autonomy, working hours. To your point, Catherine, you cannot think if you don't have the space and if all of those things are not working for you mm -hmm. or for your team, mm -hmm. how is the team to be innovative? And and that for me is that, that clear link between what you're speaking about and making the environment psychologically healthy and safe. Um, I, you know, personal experience, do, do I have time to stare out the window and think, or am I just doing, and where is the space for innovation in that? Where is the space to improve things mm -hmm. based on lived experience? If we just keep on your opening gambit, doing what we've always done, um, the past, you know, predicts the future. So I think that link you've made there is, is one that I actually haven't heard before. So thank you for that. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay. Um, so in your view, the link between creating meaning at work and psychological health and safety management, can we explore that? Mm -hmm. You know, the book that comes to mind when I looked at this, when I was having a look at these questions last night is of course, Dan Pink's brilliant book, Drive because that book is about what is it, what is it really that gets humans out of bed in the morning? Mm. And it's not a paycheck, funnily enough. Of course, we need to be paid for the work that we do. That's important. That's the kind of contract we have with our employers. But actually, what does it mean to be human at work? 
um, is and what really motivates humans are three things. This is what Dan Pink um, mentioned in his book. One of them is purpose, that there is meaning in the work that I'm doing, that it is meaningful to me. Um, the second is autonomy. So the ability to have some kind of control over my life. Um, and the third is mastery, which is really about learning, that I'm learning, I'm developing, I'm getting better at what I'm doing. So those, those, this is what is called intrinsic motivation. So it's, mm -hmm. it's what happens on the inside of humans that fires us and gives us energy energy to do the work, energy to go above and beyond in the work that we're doing, um, the energy to create a sustainable way of working. And we know that one of the biggest reasons for burnout right now is long working hours. Mm -hmm. Now, if, I'm, if I have no sense of purpose or meaning in my life, and my autonomy is taken away from me because they're just saying, get back to work, you know, because because the only thing that managers and leaders, unfortunately, have understood from the 20th century, from the old ways of doing things has been we need to actually look, see you in the office. We're measuring productivity based on almost like a type, like, a, like, like an old fashioned sort of factory clocking in, clocking out. I can physically see you. So therefore you are you must be working you must be performing. I mean, it's the, the whole thing is backward. Um, so, you know, intrinsic motivation, the fire inside us to create, to work, to inspire, to grow, to develop. That's what, that's what makes people perform at their very, very, very best. And yet all of the reward systems that are currently in, in place in most organizations actually reward extrinsic factors. So that's the stuff e external to the human, which is pay, benefits, blah, 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 blah. What's interesting now is we're seeing a shift now to try, companies are trying to incorporate some of those intrinsic factors. So you'll see things like um, coaching as an employee benefit that's starting to be offered as part of a sort of an array of different benefits, flexible working, which is all about the autonomy piece. Um, and look, CSR initiatives, and we're going to come on to ESG in a, in, in a moment, but CSR initiatives have always been sort of embedded in organization to up to a point in terms of enabling and allowing people to do work meaningful work outside of their day-to-day. -day. So for example, I don't know, volunteering in schools, helping people to learn how to read, um, you know, all, all of the stuff that happens in kind of local communities, communities local to schools. Um, so, so, so all of that is happening, but, but it's now really starting to shift um, because younger gen the younger generations now are standing up and saying, I'm not happy, I actually want I want to have meaningful, pur purposeful work. I want to, I'm going to choose an employer um, based on their ESG credentials. That is happening. The talent is going to where companies have good ESG credentials. 
where there is huge flexibility where I can work from anywhere. Spotify is the most obvious example of that. And guess mm -hmm. what? They're now their talent. The reach for their talent is global. And yeah. they I listened to a video um, of theirs yesterday because they were reflecting on the work from anywhere thing that happened that they put into place two years ago, kind of in 2020. And their um, stats around um, uh, filling roles uh, has, has completely shifted. They've reduced the number of days it now takes to fill, up, to fill individual roles. So they're, so they're filling roles faster, which means they're getting people in the door quicker, which means they're getting people up to uh, performance levels faster. And, therefore, and, and so it's a fulfilling, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So, um, yeah, I probably <laughs> overextended. That, that, that's the thing. You know, humans are humans. We're highly emotional. We're sentient. The experience of work matters so much to our ability to perform at our very, very best. And mm -hmm. so purpose and meaning is probably, I think it's the number one reason that people are getting out of bed in the morning. I love that. I, and I love the, the tangibleness of expanding what well-being means. Well-being is not just mental health. You're, to your point, purpose, mastery of their destiny those things impact well-being and that is meaning at work so i think that whole connection piece is so so important um well-being drives performance mm -hmm. that, that, that's the, that's a simple equation if you have a sick if you have a sick workforce um who are you know mentally not in a good place you're not going to get high performance you're not going to get ideas you're not going to get innovation so the it it you cannot have a sick workforce because you're not going to get the results that you want. That could have been a strap line from our um, uh, good work is, uh, is for good health back in uh, 15 years ago. So thank you, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, just because um, I asked you an easy question, I thought I'd ask you the second exam question of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, do, does psychological and health and safety link to the ESG agenda? Um, I might have strong opinions on this. I might not, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> Over to you, Catherine. Over to me. Yes, yes, yes. As I mentioned before, as I mentioned before, um, I think that, I mean, it's interesting. I think there's a, there's a debate going on at the moment within ESG whether or not we should we should add an H into ESG, so it then be E S H G. I mean, to be honest with you, I think that's far too complicated. I think people are, just, are only now organisations are only now getting frankly getting their head around the E bit, the E and the G bit. I think companies are tackling, but even within E, I mean, there's there's so much work still to do um, uh, around how to kind of monitor environmental impact of organisations. Um, so let's so let's talk to the S, the S of ESG, which is social impact, um, and that's social factors, which to me include must include health, must must must. Have you got healthy? Have you got a healthy um, population? What we know is we have this massive inequality in this country and in America and, and, other, and other countries, but certainly in America and in this country, there's huge inequality, um, which is imp impacting um, people's health. 
physical health and mental mental and emotional health. Um, and all of these things, unfortunately, um, all of these things are linked. You know, nature and human health are linked. Interesting, isn't it, Catherine, that the social factors become sustainability. Um, and uh, people talk about sustainability. And for me, there's a journey here. The environment is both physical and psychological. We are psychological uh, beings with emotions and etc. and cognition. And if you in getting the environment right, it's not just simply getting the physical elements right. It's getting the psychological um, uh, piece right, and then the sustainability and social. We know social factors. What did the lockdown teach us? What well, we like to talk, <laughs> or we like to be with people, and, yes. and even the most introvert people yep. are like, oh my god. I need to get out and go for a walk. I need to do something. So actually, um, and and actually, if you've got the, if you ENS it together, you get sustainability. Yeah, it absolutely um, sustainability. Yeah. yeah. And then we got the G. <laughs> so, um, and whereas I actually think, as an ex inspector, I think we need to be more clear on the regulations about what we expect organisations to do. Mm-hmm. That's the governance piece. Yes, uh, and uh, that doesn't mean that I'm just constantly looking to issue notices. Well, I can't anymore. It does. Mean, it does mean I think there's an accountability that we're doing these things right. So I don't know what your opinion is on that, Catherine. Hi, listeners. Jason here. We hope you're enjoying this latest podcast episode. Now, if you're like Joelle, Alicia, and myself, and enjoy learning from the best, then the Flourish DX Academy is for you. The Academy includes free e-learning courses on the ISO 45003 standard for psychological health and safety at work and associated topics such as how to conduct a psychosocial risk assessment and how to create the business case for psych health and safety. All courses feature high-quality videos, downloadable resources, multi-choice questions and a downloadable training certificate on completion. Take your learning to the next level with all Flourish DX Academy courses included within the Flourish DX mobile app. Select podcast episodes from the Psych Health and Safety Podcast and sister podcasts from Canada and the USA are also included. Get started with Flourish DX for free at www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. That's www.flourishdx.com forward slash get hyphen started. Now back to this episode. Well, what I do know, and I did, I posted a lot about this at the time, the corporate governance code in the UK has changed. And I don't, I don't, I sometimes wonder if people are aware of it. I mean, this is not mandated, but it's just specifically around that governance piece. Culture, organizational culture is now being put up up the agenda for boards. Um, as also um, diversity of boards. Yeah. Um, because we know... All of the facts are there that if you have diversity at the top table, you're going to get better results, higher levels of performance. I mean, this has been tracked and recorded for a very, very long time. Um, so absolutely. And, and look, I mentioned this before, the context has changed to the, to the point where sustainability is like the number one. And McKinsey published this about a year ago maybe even longer ago, sustainability is the number one thing on the CEO's mind. Why? Mm. Because the customer can choose where to spend their money. 
And if the customer is not convinced that an organization is sustainable, then um, they're going to spend their money elsewhere. Mm. And bi billions of dollars are about to shift into the hands of, of, of a much younger generation who have a very, very different view on the responsibility that companies have on the environment, social factors and governance. They want places of work that look after them. Absolutely, they do. And they don't want places of work that allow them to be made ill as an outcome and accept that as an outcome. So, um, yeah. And if there is any one benefit of the the shift towards that, um, you know, with the Instagram generation, and mm -hmm. uh, and that is that it's that accountability and the power of the brand, isn't it? Not you get a bad brand for not looking after your people, then you're not going to get your people. Uh, in there, so yeah, um, it's a wonderful thing, ESG. <laughs> <laughs> I think it broadens the scope, yeah. you know, sustainability. But what about sustainable workforce, sustainable human capital, which will have an impact on society? Because in simplistic forms, they come to work, they go home, and they are with their families, and they're in their communities, and they are making. They they are whole people in those spaces as well. And what are they, how do we transition out of work into the workplace more naturally than I think we're currently doing and more sustainably? Because it's still very much, I think, as much as we try change it, there's a lot of time being spent in the workplace and people are burning out and people are working longer hours and it becomes a choice you know on the weekends what do you do are you recovering from your week or are you actually enjoying your life outside of work so I think that sustainability piece for me is huge in terms of understanding that it's more just than a sustainable world it's about sustainable human capital mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah what is interesting is Aristotle, Aristotle talked about the environment back over a thousand years ago and uh, if you were to look through the annals of medical history, you'll find references to environment to, to, and then lastly towards social factors in work. So if, if Aristotle thought it was a good thing, then I think we should bring <laughs> good company. Yeah, um, uh, and that's, uh, yeah, so you, you passed this question and I'll let him <laughs> move on to the, the nicer question. They still want to come. They still want to come. Okay. <laughs> Pete, you're definitely keeping score there. What's got into you today? <laughs> right. So, Catherine, I'd love to just understand any frustrations you've got around the current landscape of well-being in the UK specifically. Hmm. How long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> well, with all three of us on a call, not long enough. <laughs> I mean, I think... I think um, one of the biggest challenges that there seems to be is there's just there's a sort of multitude of of approaches of indexes of awards of it's just and that's great because it means there's lots of people thinking about this stuff and there's a lot of um the growing kind of motivation movement if you like to actually bring about change that's so that's got to be a good thing but I do think that um, perhaps there's a lack of joined up thinking. And I think I think as long as long as everything is sort of broken into different pieces and people sort of doing different things, 
um, the the longer it will take to get something like well-being uh, pr- properly embedded into um, into into actually shareholder um, shareholder decks. Mm-hmm. Well-being impact disclosure, as you know, is something that I've talked about for quite some time. <laughs> I've been banging this drum of, um, and of course, you know, it's, it's not that straightforward. So you've got, to, you know, you, there's all sorts of privacy issues you've got to overcome. There's data issues. There's all sorts of stuff going on. But I do think we need to move away from this sort of simplistic measurement or around financial factors. Find, oh, we've over-financialized the system. This is brilliant um, Dr. Victoria Hurst, somebody that everyone should follow on LinkedIn. Um, she's a, a fellow at Cambridge Institute for Sustainable Business. She teaches this um, this stuff. So I, I, I you know, we've we, we really got to, um, I think, come up with something that is a global measure for well-being that we hold organizations accountable to because I think until we really and, and, and you know some people have said is that psychological safety I, I think on its own I, I'm not sure that that's right um, but um, I, th- I think the way engagement scores are at the moment I don't think that's that is quite right. I think maybe re reimagining what an engagement score is, asking slightly different questions around an engagement score could be interesting. Um, that kind of speaks to intrinsic motivation. That that speaks to, you know. Uh, in fact, I was on a um, a panel last year, and one of the questions that an HR director mentioned that she they have started asking employees is can you be yourself at work it's a really simple question it's a very elegant question um but of course that speaks to do you feel safe to speak up that's the psychological safety bit but there's there's more i think there's i I think there's three elements to this do i feel safe do i feel accepted which is inclusion uh the inclusion piece which obviously then you know, you can have a diverse workforce, but if they don't feel included, you're, you know, you're stuffed. And then, and then am I learning? Am I the mastery piece? So all of, you know, safe, accepted nurtures actually speak to motivational factors that we talked from Dan Pink's book, the intrinsic motivation. Um, and of course there's more, there's a bit, there's a, there's a, there's even, there's even a bigger scope, um, to this conversation as well. But, um, yeah, I think uh, coming up with getting people together and coming up with a global way. I mean, um, our friend, oh, what, I forgot his name now. Um, he was at, um, he's now at Corn Ferry. Talked about the human PNL. I interviewed him and I've, his name has completely gone out of my head now, but he's he talks about the human PNL. And I, I just think that's, a beautiful way of thinking about it that we've got to get away from this financialization of how companies are measured because unfortunately that way of working has been exploited and you know you can make numbers look any which way you could you can be incredibly creative with what 
you can make numbers look exactly how you want them to look. Human factors, human health and safety factors. I think I think the one thing about those factors, if we can if we can really get to a point where we can measure them in a meaningful way, actually looks more to the to the present and the future, whereas numbers can only ever be a representation of the past, what has happened. So actually moving to more measuring human factors and, and taking those more seriously from an institutional investment point of view, from any kind of investment point of view, I think is far more meaningful. And I think we've hung on to this idea that, that you know, the, the numbers are the numbers of the numbers. I mean, it just, I think, plays into the fact that economists have ruled the world for the last however many years. And we need to, we need to change the conversation. And actually, let's think about... Um, Let's think about a shift to what if psychologists ruled the world? I read something recently that we're on the next seven year cycle and there is much more shift moving away from economy money focus into the social area. So if that prediction is right, wow, what a movement it will be. And yeah. I think I think the lagging indicators that we've currently got be them financial metrics and the maturity of conversation and how do we develop leading indicators is what you're saying, but mm. of a human, human-based indicators rather than financial metrics, which I think is, you know, that, that leading indicator space was still struggling in the well-being arena to come yeah. up with those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think there's a place for numbers. There has to be. So I think you, but you need to have both, both, um, measurements running uh, concurrently i think it's important to have both i don't i don't think it's it's too it's oversimplified now just to have ebitda revenue and profit it's just it's too simplistic um and unfortunately you know you 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 can with with clever 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 uh, ways of communicating and 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 sort of massaging figures you can make them look any which way and it's, it's much more difficult to actually do that with with human factors like engagement human health well-being yeah yeah it, it is because we've we've not really tried um, and and i think that's part of the issue we put it in there too hard haven't we and it, yes it, it's fascinating i mean it had uh the pandemic not come along, um, Dennis Stevenson would have put in legislation that would have required the boards to report on mental health and well-being activities. That was the plan of action that was going to occur. So, yeah, but I'm, I, I, you know me, I, I love a bit of data, but I love a bit of human in the middle of all the data as well. Yeah. Um, this is this is the matrix question, Catherine. Mm. I'm directing it to you um, as the oracle. In this instance, what are your predictions for workplace well-being in the UK? Well, I think um, what I what yeah, building on that point about um, well-being impact disclosure. I mean, I think that's that's that is that, that's got to be it. Um, that companies are required by law to disclose in the same way that they disclose on gender pay gap in the same way that they disclose on uh, the gap, uh, diversity gaps, ethnic gaps. This, this is, I think this is, um, this is the next thing that needs to happen where this, this data 
is, is then displayed in annual reports. It's fully disclosed to shareholders. It's fully disclosed to institutional investors. It's, it's just fully disclosed. And actually, if you go on to some websites of um, the likes of BlackRock and other institutional investors, they're writing about this stuff. They're writing about culture and the importance yeah. of like it, it, investor scorecards are starting mm. to touch on human factors. Just to give you an example, I work with a private equity company. So they've got several billion under under uh, under investment and with mostly scale up companies, scale up businesses, some of the fastest growing companies in, the, in globally today. And one of their, they have five factors on their scorecard. And one of them is, is coachability. Can I coach this person? And that, and that starts with, is this post person emotionally self-aware and open to the possibility of change? And I'm talking about personal change and personal transformation. In other words, that they're not defending their identity and going, I am who I am, so deal with it. That, that they are accepting that, there are, that they can and will change and develop, depending on the context they're in. Because guess what? Humans are all, have always been really good at this. I'm an anthropologist, so human, human adaptation is a given. Mm. But for some reason, we sort of forgot that somewhere along the way that we can actually adapt mm. that we can actually change that we, we don't have to sit there defending this sort of one one version of self in a, in in any context of life but particularly at work and even in even this idea of what does it mean to be a professional at work even that now is being is under challenge um what does what does professional what does it mean to be professional at work yeah. what does that mean mm. i think i think it puts people a lot of people in a straitjacket it's a fascinating conversation because bring your whole self to work but we are malleable and we can change yeah and are we coachable and i think that for me is where this team you know we've got the individual but we've also got the team mm -hmm. and how do we how do we bring that side of ourselves that says you know what we can change we can move we can adjust we can be agile yeah for the, the bit the good of the team yeah it can't you know so for me it's and it's a conversation i've seen on linkedin recently is about do you bring your whole self to work some people are challenging that and saying i don't agree with it um you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But I think there is that, it's almost like a juxtaposition because you bring yourself to work, but you've also got to be open to these inclusion safety, learner safety, contributor safety, challenger safety, so that you can change for social impact. So, mm. yeah. Look, no one should be asked to bring, my, my rule of thumb is don't, don't ask me to bring my whole self to work if the leaders are not bringing their whole, whole selves to work. I think that, that, that's the rule of thumb for me. It has to start with the leaders. It has to start with the executives. So if, unfortunately, if, if, you know, humans look for signals, right? We look for patterns. And so we, we need to see other, you know, the, the people that are sort of at the top of our businesses leading us. We need to see that they are doing what they're saying and saying what they're doing. Because there's mm -hmm. no way, I, I, there's no way anyone should be asked to bring their whole self to work if the CEO isn't 
showing uh, that vulnerability isn't is it isn't um, yeah being 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 themselves. Um, and I think we saw tiny little slivers of this during lockdown, didn't we? Where people hadn't you know CEOs and the, the board were suddenly okay. This is me. I'm taking my dog for a walk. Here's my mm. family. Some photos. Mm. So we started to see some of that. And it and and it and guess what? It really was incredibly motivational for people because we we this stuff matters to us. We're mm. constantly seek. We're, we're we know we're tribal. We're we want to, as Peter said earlier, we don't do very well on our own. I mean, let's face it: putting someone in in isolation is you know psychologically damaging. <laughs> Um, yeah. We don't survive very long on our own. We we are group. Uh, we're social creatures. So um, mm. yeah, I, I I think that that's my role rule of thumb now. You know, I think some companies have been able to to do that. Bring your bring your whole self to work. But most organisations they talk a good game about this stuff, but they're not they're not preparing the way because their their leaders are doing classic twentieth century top-down directive style of leadership that is not what is required and what they're really saying in bringing your whole self to work is the whole self that benefits them and not necessarily you exactly and exactly maybe with the argument the statement should be bringing yourself to work with all of its elements both the positive and the negative because that's who you are as a person mm -hmm. that's what makes you effective and there's you know and i yeah. think um We've, we've we brought into bringing your whole self um, as bringing all the positives and you know the superman and the superheroes of, of, of the but it's not the most effective leaders are people that are vulnerable completely agree and and they're the people that you will go you know what yeah I'll work for you and actually I'll work for you because and I'll really work for you because I believe in you and what you're doing and I think um, you know it's a throughout the course of history all the significant leaders that we've seen over the over, over history have all had, you know, one common trait, the ability to get alongside people and be real. So, um, I agree. And yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, well, Haley, I think we're nearly towards the end, uh, as usual. When we're talking to friends, we just keep carrying on. And... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, last question, Catherine. Um, one key takeaway for our listeners today you know what? I think that the the biggest um, mistake that people make when it comes to understanding performance is results do not drive performance. Performance drives results. And performance, let's go back to right back to the beginning of the first question you asked me, is my ability to consistently think well, high quality thinking, high quality thinking and positive emotions. Optimism is one of the kind of key attributes. This idea of I, I can see a future here and it's positive. Connecting to the future, connecting to a hopeful future. I mean, hope is an emotion mm. Mm. that is incredibly uplifting for humans. What do they say? Absolutely. Hope, love, faith. 
But the most important is love, belonging, a sense of belonging. And, I, and I, I'm using the L word, the L bomb, more <laughs> and more in my conversations with, within organizations because it matters, because it is the energy for people to perform at their very best. Performance wow. drives results, not the other way around. Brilliant last words and so much fat to chew on that statement, but very powerful. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. And, and, and thank you, Hayley, for that reference to barbecues and chewing the fat. And <laughs> summer, summer is on its way. Absolutely. You can summer tell when it's a South African and an Australian on a, on a podcast. <laughs> you know, we like our, we like our meat. Um, <laughs> but in, 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 honestly, Catherine, it's been an absolute mm -hmm. um, brilliant, brilliant session to have a chat with you. Um, as usual, I could chat and chat and chat and chat, and uh, I probably will do. But I've got to wind up. So uh, what I'd like to remind you is to like and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety podcast to hear from future guests. We're really looking to move the needle in health and safety and the well-being space. Hopefully we've been doing that today. Don't forget you can watch on YouTube, Flourish DX's LinkedIn page for short clips. So you're going to be a star shortly, Catherine. And connect with Haley, Catherine and myself directly over LinkedIn. And we will we will say goodbye for now and see you on the next podcast. Big waves to everyone. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Catherine. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.